Hey, Steve. Hey, Alan. Welcome to Music at Insights. I am Alan Fire here with Steve Shanley. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. It's great, great to be here with you. So, this is the second of, of two episodes that we're doing in answer to the question, how do you know if a teacher is successful? And last time we talked about competition and then the role of that. And this time, I think we're going to focus on culture uh, a lot more. And we, we put some questions on our social media uh, outlets. And, and in one place, we got some responses to the question, how do you know if a teacher is successful or not? So uh, I'm, I'm going to read these to you, Steve, and, and, and uh, you're going to react to them, okay? All right, bring uh, so, it on. Yeah, do, do, do you agree? Okay, the first one was the consistency of the quality of their program. I totally agree with that. Yeah. Is it uh, is it good by however we define good over time? It's it the consistency of the quality of their program as a measuring stick. While I agree with it, I feel like it's a little bit on the vague side because it does. It's pretty subjective. Well, yeah. What what is quality? And then we go back to our our last conversation about um, the rubrics involved in in competition that not every program participates in. All right, let's, uh, we'll, we'll get to more of that here. Let's look at the second one, um, which was the cuteness of their band director. Now, at, looking at the last names involved in the posts, I'm pretty sure this is the spouse of another person who has commented. So I, I think we can throw that one out, but, but what do you think? I, I agree. We can probably throw that out, but Aw, that's yeah, so that sweet. Is, that is sweet. That is sweet. But I just, I also want to make sure we don't alienate our uh, general music choir director, orchestra director friends, because um, yeah, they're cute too. How about this? I like this. Do they see their students as more than a, quote, insert subject here, unquote, student? I like do that. They see, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's one, one thing I talk to my students about is... Uh, res- I, I think for people who really place a high value, teachers who place a high value on what the final product sounds like, it is a lot easier for them to look at their choir or their orchestra as raw material and not as individual humans that they're trying to teach. I, I think that we can uh, make mistakes as directors when we say, okay, clarinets, measure 33. Instead of clarinet players, we're going to start at measure 33. Can we get more trumpets, trumpet here? Instead of, will the trumpet players please play out more and refer to students as, you know, the, the alto singers rather than there are people who sing alto rather than altos. It, it becomes a shorthand that I think can dehumanize if it's accompanied by an awful lot of that. I look at my students as raw material. Totally agree. I think the language is very important. I would lump what you just suggested in with the tendency of those of us in the Midwest to say guys to refer to a large group of people. Agreed. Which which brings us to the next comment on the post, which is, if the music room is a safe environment for a student to learn and grow, then the teacher has become successful building rapport with students to create music that benefits the students' lives. So there, there's three steps there. Music room is a safe environment. Student lo- learns and grows. That means the teacher has become successful building rapport, creating music that benefits the students' lives. Totally agree there. 
the counter argument would be, can we create a safe environment where the students uh, have rapport with the teacher, but the choir sounds terrible? Is that a successful program? I, I've heard it summed up like this. Treat people really, 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 really well. And then have really, 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 really high expectations for them. It's a lot of reallys. Exactly. Yeah. It's, uh, it's if, if I were putting it in writing, I'm, I might not do that. But the idea is this. If you don't have those high expectations, then even though there's this great rapport, I think that students will get bored a bit and the rapport might actually be damaged because the students think, why are we doing this? Why are we having so much fun here if it's not actually going to be something we're proud to perform? I feel like in the real world, that's what I've seen in situations like that, where the out- outcome, the output is it is, doesn't match the vibe. And another counter argument would be that I think we've also seen programs where the kids and the parents seem happy and feel like they're part of a great product. But maybe to more discerning ears, <laughs> the discerning ears would say, eh, no, either because they don't like the repertoire that is being programmed or the tone quality or the level of technical accuracy. And uh, I mean, you've seen groups like that, haven't you? Yes, but 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 I, I, I said this before, a division two performance can still be very entertaining to an audience and satisfying to a performer. And and if what you're describing is something that would kind of fit that, well, it's not it's not ultra polished, but it's enjoyable to perform and it doesn't hurt to listen to it and they really enjoy doing it, I I, I think that's still I think I can still be called successful. Fair enough. I think it's often evident, next comment, final comment, I think it's often evident through the relationship they have with students. So this is the second comment in a row that talks about relationships. The third, actually. Uh, Do the students feel respected by and important to their teacher? Do they interact positively with the teacher, uh, but with healthy professional boundaries present? Well, and that leads nicely into what we were going to want to talk about today, which I think is the culture. And certainly I feel like I recognize when a program has good culture, but I don't know how to define that. And I think that's where we can rely on experts like you to maybe find ways to quantify what that looks like or doesn't look like and specific steps we can take to improve the culture. So I'm, or wait, no, you're a motivational speaker. That's your job, right? Oh man, you got to cut that out. That's (laughs) stop it. (laughs) To our, our listeners, um, one of uh, the ways I like to push Alan's buttons is to refer to him as a motivational speaker as his uh, as his trade. And then, uh, leadership, and then leadership and team me. development, man, leadership and team development, man, leadership, leadership and, team, and team, development. team development, which is all about culture, right? I think so. Yeah. And and it can be motivational, certainly. But what I'd rather do is create uh, a situation where people learn how to do their own motivating so that it's a, it's a lot more permanent. You talked about a couple of things there, Steve. One was measuring and quantifying, and the other was specific steps to take. 
And I think we could take some of that from what we just heard from from our listeners who commented on these posts. And it it, it the step to take really is develop personal relationships, um, appropriate personal relationships with students. Let them know that you respect them. Let them know that you care about them. Stand in the hallway and say hello to them. Uh, call them by name. Um, pay attention when when something's a, a little bit off or different than usual uh, without being overly nosy. It, it takes time, I think, to develop the skill of developing positive relationships with students. Let, let me pause for a second. I don't know. Do you have, do you have anything to, to say in response to that? Yeah, I've tried to build positive relationship with student A, but they are just not buying what I'm selling. I ask them what they did over the weekend and no, nothing. I ask them what they're doing this coming weekend. Nothing. What's your favorite piece we're playing right now? No, I don't have any. Like, so am I a failure at building culture when, when I can't connect with that student? No, I'm glad you brought that up. One of my biggest regrets from, and I don't have a lot of them, but I do have a couple of very specific regrets from my 20 years in the classroom. One of them was pushing introverted or shy students into getting out of their comfort zone a little bit more instead of honoring the fact that some students are fairly private. So in the, in the situation you just described, there's, there's two directions to go. One is, are you being a little too familiar? Are you asking too many questions that you and I wouldn't consider personal, but maybe they too consider personal. And so you can back off a little bit on the intensity and the depth of those questions, but still let them know that, that you see them. Hey, Steve, it's good to see you today. Glad you're here. And then physically back away so that they don't feel like they have to respond so that they feel seen, but they're not forced into a human interaction. So that's one direction to go with that, to, to reassure you, no, that does not mean that you are a failure at building culture. The other direction I would go is we're all going to have human beings in our lives, students, colleagues, family members, whatever, who have enough going on with them that they're just not going to buy into whatever's going on around them in that particular moment. You and I have both known students who have gotten an awful lot out of orchestra, band, choir, music, music making. Um, but, but you just couldn't tell because there was so much weighing on them and so much going on with them. So in those situations, there isn't much that you can do to get them to bond with you necessarily, but again, making sure that they that they feel seen is uh, is fairly important. I mean, one of the easiest things to quantify is just how many students are in your program. So if you are teaching music in an area where it's an elective, and students have to opt in, is the sheer number of students participating? Or the percentage of the students as a, you know, a, a proportion of the overall student body, is that something we can use to say, yes, we have good culture or no, we might have a culture problem? I, I actually think so. I, I think it can be that simple. Um, most states or so areas. What, 10% successful, I, 17% it, successful, 16% not successful. It yeah I think I think you can I think you can come up with the numbers I don't think that you and I can project some numbers on people but if you look at the statistics of what seems to be the norm in your conference uh, or your state for your school size for your particular type of ensemble and then calculate that as a percentage of the student body are, are you above average or are you below average I, I remember like a time when we knew for a fact that the average size of a band. In class 3A in the state of Iowa 
with 78 students. And so if you had 40 students in band in your school, if you're part of that school size, that's probably a clue that the culture isn't great. And if you had 120 students in that school size, that's a fairly substantial clue that your that your culture is great. So much I want to talk about with what you just said. Uh, the first is we have talked about in pre- previous episodes that sometimes comparing can be a source of, of stress or strain. But in this instance, comparing to give us some feedback on our participation numbers uh, could be a good thing. But I would encourage you were comparing to the entire uh, classification in a state. And I would push back and say within that, like, sure, the classification is the same, meaning which basically just means the graduating class size is within a certain range of of numbers. But I think we need to go past that and compare things like uh, socioeconomic status and uh, location, just a lot of things like that, because I think you could probably handpick a few schools with, that are within your quote unquote classification. But the that's the only similarity you have is that the school size is about the same. But past that, there are so many differences. So I would if to our listeners, if you're thinking about going down that road, consider that as well. If you are teaching in an urban school, then I'm not sure comparing your numbers to those in a suburban area or a rural area is always going to be the best thing to do. Uh, And then the other thing, well, first, is there anything you want to say about that, Alan? No, I I, I totally agree. I, I agree with that. Um, And then the next thing is, what do you say if, so you, you said, well, if, if the average is 80 and you've got 40, that's a sign there's a problem with my culture. And I push back and I say, no, 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 Alan, my principal has this schedule that just killed the band program. And, and the schedule is the reason I only have 40 students. Like I, I, I could have another 40, but because of the way they put the foreign language and this and that, um, like we lost a bunch of them. Yeah. And I'd, I'd push back then and say, yeah, that could be the case. Is that true for all of the other activities in the school? Let you just take a look at, at what's going on in that school because, oh, you're going to make me be the one to say this, aren't you? A, a lot of times we we will we will see teachers blame scheduling for low enrollment and the schedule there could be a messed up school schedule that can cause dips in enrollment um but what i think i going to make a couple of people mad here potentially but i do believe this i think that even if there are schedule difficulties if you create a program that people really want to be a part of, they'll they'll end up choosing that over some of those other things that they they could schedule, or it will affect all the activities somewhat equally. Every once in a while, you got an administrator out to 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 get the band program, the choir program, the orchestra program, but I think more often than not, it becomes an extremely convenient uh, scapegoat for a lower enrollment. What are some other uh, common I hate to say excuses, uh, reasons people might point to for low enrollment. Uh, well, I, don't, I, don't have any, I don't have any community support, Alan. No one in the community cares about music. 
Yep. Yep. This town is, it's all about sports around here. So of course we're not going to have enough people uh, in music. That's one of my favorites. Cause I'm like, that's the entire world. <laughs> like, like the sports illustrated as a magazine. There's not like choir illustrated as a magazine with, with, with wide circulation. Um, I'm glad you clarified yeah. the wide circulation. I, I wonder if it exists. We just uh, don't see it on the, on the waiting room tables at the doctor's office. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Lack of community, uh, community support. The parents don't care. Kids don't practice. Um, my administration doesn't support music at all. Um, th- like th- those sorts of things. And in my challenging response, if I've got a good relationship with somebody who's saying those things to me, my common response is then, then drum up that support. Then, then do whatever it takes to help people become supportive of it or understand it a little bit better than they do now. Because go ahead. That's a change I have, I have made with my music ed students over the last 10 years is I find that more and more of our class discussions, readings, things like that come back to me saying, this is about how good of a salesperson you can be. And, and that comes to classroom management meaning you're really frustrated right now, but you're acting <laughs> and you're you're selling the students on the fact that you're not frustrated or that you want them to join the program, uh, that you are maybe sick or not feeling your best, but you are acting, you're overcoming. So this acting and, and selling, and let's just face it, like there are a lot of really cool things that are happening in the world musically. But even if we take the coolest things that are happening musically, I guess Beyonce or, or fill in the blank, that's still not anywhere close to as popular as what's going on with sports, right? And so then we acknowledge the fact that in, in our traditional music making sense, we are not teaching them Beyonce. We're teaching them a type of music that has been dying, has been become less popular year after year. So we're we're essentially in a lot of ways. I mean, if we're thinking about a, an orchestra program, for example, where we're programming some Haydn uh, or, or Bach or Mozart, we're trying to convince those students that they want to buy a, a horse and buggy, that a horse and buggy is super cool <laughs> and and they don't you know, you don't need a car like th- those look cool. But here, here's what's really awesome about a horse and buggy. And and I'm not saying that that we should change exactly what we're teaching uh, necessarily. I think that's a topic for a, another day. I think we could make an argument there is. But let's let's just say for a moment that we have decided the horse and buggy is a beautiful thing and that everybody needs to buy one. We need to acknowledge that a lot of people are inherently not going to be into that. And therefore we need to be good salespeople. We need to be good actors. And like you said, drum up that support, create that support. Now that all being said, do you at least acknowledge that there are communities, cities, regions, whatever, school districts, schools, where the culture is predisposed to supporting traditional secondary music making more so than in other locations. Totally. 100%. If, if, if anybody who has low enrollment or low numbers wants to find a reason for it, um, they, they often can, and, and some of them are certainly legitimate. So I want to stick to the broad picture here, the big picture, which is 
by and large, if you're kind of comparing your enrollment, your percentage of students in, in the student body with similar schools, using whatever measuring stick you can, uh, with, with most things being equal, that can be an indicator of culture. I mean, this whole exchange started with how can we quantify? Is there a way to quantify this this kind of thing? And and I, I agree with you, and I will absolutely acknowledge uh, the first school in which I taught um, less than 10% of the students in music were male. Um, it was very female dominated because just boys just didn't do that kind of thing there. It takes a long time to change that kind of uh, culture. Um, and I think it is different there now. It was, you know, 30, 30 some years ago. Um, so there's, there's definitely that or, or a, a school where there's a, a football, it's a football powerhouse not just in terms of their athletic success, but also the number of kids that go out for football. And so all the talented musicians don't even consider band. But, but I think those things are are a little bit more rare. What's more common is, you know, schools are, are representative of their, their size and their SES and whether they're rural or urban, suburban, and you can compare across. Other things that you can do though, where you don't have to like compare across different districts, um, how many students retain? Like do do fewer than 5% of kids quit once they're in uh, your level in junior high or high school or wherever? Uh, or do you lose 40% of them each year as a general rule? When you go on a trip, here's, here's another measuring stick that I use. When you go on a trip, do you have better retention or worse retention the next year? Because what I see is schools, uh, programs with a good culture who do some traveling as a group, this is mostly in the high school level. If the culture isn't that great, you lose a bunch of kids after the trip because they only stayed in for that. But if there's a good culture, retention's a little higher than usual because of all the bonding and community building that took place the year of the trip. I'm thinking of other ways we can self-assess our culture and this is probably less the case, maybe the younger the students and the less flexible their own schedule is, but just students wanting to hang out in your office or your room and talk to you. And before you answer that, I did not usually have a line of students waiting outside my office just to tell me about what was going on with their personal lives. So don't make me feel bad here, Alan. Now, let me tiptoe around this a little bit. I, I think something that's a little bit more reliable is how quickly do they enter the room? I'm thinking especially of general music. You know, do the, do the, do the students dawdle a little bit before they come in? Or are they excited to come in and see what Mr. Shanley has for second grade music today? Watch the speed and enthusiasm with which students approach whatever that music class is. And how long do they linger talking to their friends? Uh, afterwards, so you have to shoo them out necessarily. And I think that's different than students hanging out in your office. Because I think students hanging out in your office, which I, I had, I had quite a bit of that. Um, but that's a little bit more about personality connection. And if the director is sort of an extrovert who just like loves hanging out with kids in the, in the off hours, um, th then, then that ends up happening. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a reflection on the entire culture. I think it's a reflection on 
uh, kind of the uniqueness of that person's personality, as well as the personalities of the kids that have the time to hang out in the office. So I, I wouldn't use hanging think, out in the office as a culture indication. Do you think the natural extroverts have an easier time building uh, what appears to be a good culture from the outside? Yeah, I, I think in general they do, but but only if they're careful about it. They'll be great at developing culture for fellow extroverts. Um, and that's a pit that I fell into in the middle part of my career is that uh, the, the kids who left the band program tended to be um, perfectionists and introverts, if I were to, to, to draw a broad stroke there. But an introverted teacher can build an awesome culture as well because that teacher okay, so doesn't let's, have to let's, act much. Let's because close, they, be, Let's close down with, with this. I think this would be a great way to close this episode and tie everything together. I'm an introvert. And I have moved to a new town where historically the music program has not been valued, considered successful, fill in the blank, whatever. Uh, and, and you tell me to drum it up, drum up the community support. And, and I'm the choir director and the band has just been running the show for years and everyone loves the band director. It's extroverted. Mr. Fire happens to be the band director there. And, <laughs> and 70% of the school is in band and band and choir meet at the same time every day. And, and you can do both, but you got to go every other day if you're going to do both. But Mr. Fire is so awesome that most of the kids just opt into staying in band. And so introverted Mr. Shanley has moved to town and has to create this culture drum up this culture for the choir. What's he to do? Well, the first thing to do is is meet with as many students one-on-one -on -one as possible. If you have a lesson program, all the better. And, and make sure that each student knows that you're really glad that they're there. And you don't have to be effusive about that. You don't have to act that much. Uh, an introverted human being is very good at looking at one other human being and making that person feel seen. Because the talent that you have Mr. Shanley, Dr. Shanley, and, and the talent that a lot of introverted people have is that they listen well and they make people feel seen and heard and noticed. So as you make a little bit of music in some one-on-one -on -one meetings or one-on small group meetings with those students, you remind them, this is fun. This is good. I'm really glad you're here. There's nothing like singing. You talk about the unique aspects of singing. You don't position it against playing a band instrument in a negative way, but you say, this is a way that music comes straight from you physically with nothing in between you and the sound that you create. And I love it. And I could tell you love it too. You're good at it. And I'm really glad you're here. That, 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 that becomes the first drum beat right there. And then if we talk about the community, are there occasions for there to be a little bit more visibility for small groups who enjoy singing, can they perform in, 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 in small opportunities so that they're reminded, oh, it's fun to perform, fun to sound good, and, uh, and we get out there. And if you're an introvert, you don't have to be front and center. Your, your students are. But you can thoughtfully orchestrate those experiences. I love all of that. How patient do I need to be? Like, how quickly well, is all of that going to work? In the extreme situation that you just described, I think it'll take a, uh, I think it'll take three or four years. Yeah. And, and it's, and the, it's worth that's it. That's the tricky. Yeah. It, it's, it's worth it, but also 
That's a long uphill battle. You, you celebrate the small victories along the way. I had 13 in my choir to start, and at least I ended the year with 16. I maybe lost one student, but, but gained four. I'm trending the right way. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's it. And I think you do have to be that patient. Because, because assuming that there is any magic bullet, any book to read, any conference clinic session to attend, or an article to read that you're going to show up this week and change the culture in a week, I feel like that is a sure recipe to set yourself up for disappointment. Yeah, most solid cultures, most solid cultural turnarounds that I've seen, uh, and I could I could name a few if I had to, uh, took three to five years. The ones that stuck. I've seen some super quick cult of personality turnarounds that didn't stick. That when that director left that school or when they hit a certain point, it started to fade again a little bit. The substantive culture shifts that I've seen have taken three to five years. I'm good leaving it there, Alan. How about you? I am. I, I don't want to forget the initial question. How do you know if a teacher is successful or not? We have talked about measuring performances against a rubric, uh, and that's a form of assessment that we talked about in our last episode. Uh, in this episode, we've talked about culture and the essence of building solid relationships that make students feel seen and heard um, and, and important. So I want to leave it there. You've been listening to Music Ed Insights. Please support this podcast by subscribing, rating, and reviewing it. We want to make this as thoughtful and practical as possible. Please send us your ideas for guests and suggestions for improvement. You can do that through our website, www.musicedinsights.com. You can also reach us on our Facebook page, Music Ed Insights, or via Twitter, at Music Ed Insights. Our website is also the place to find program notes, links, and a one-page download of this episode's key takeaways. That's www.musicedinsights.com insights.com. This podcast is sponsored and supported by Normal Design, Winterset Websites, Group Dynamic, and the Co-College Music Education Program. Learn more about them at our website and let us know if your business or organization would like to join that list. New episodes drop every two weeks on Monday mornings. Get current. Stay relevant. Music Ed Insights.